This is standing for Christ in a hostile world. It's just the burial. Have you ever thought of it that way? We get here in Luke 23.50, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good one, and a righteous man. He had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, city of the Jews, is waiting for the kingdom of God. So, about the man, a little detail here, and this is in Luke. You also have him in Matthew, and in Mark, and in John. So, this is very instrumental. This particular man is in the plan that God has. And the most important part of the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection, he's involved in the burial. He's a member of the council, which really is the Sanhedrin, which really is the Supreme Court. The 70 elders who ruled. Very important parts that the Sanhedrin members play in Israel. They are the judges, the supreme judges of all the land. And he knew he had not spoken out vigorously. Uh, in John 19.38 it says he was a secret disciple. Disciple means matetas, learner. A follower, a learner. He had a fear. He feared the Jews. He did not take a bold stand for Christ when he probably could have. He knew that he should have. And I'm sure there was guilt. But he was in a very prominent position. And it says this about him, that he was a good and righteous man. That's interesting because Jesus says, there's no man that's good. And he was a righteous man. But in this context, it's okay to say he's a good man. That means he stands for truth, principles. Uh, he practiced his principles. He was probably a man of the word. Matter of fact, I definitely believe he is. He's been following the word of Christ. He stood for righteousness. And that's what we do in the time that we live in. It may not change anybody's minds. But you know what? We stand for righteousness. That's what we are to do. So, he had not consented to their plan, it says here. I think he's getting bold here. Probably started to make it known. I don't even know if he was present at the trials. I have to wonder if they just, just kept it from him. Because they knew that he was against what they were doing. He knew what they were planning. He knew that they were out to get him, to kill him. So he didn't go along with them at all, although that's not the popular consensus at all. He was horrified. He was scared. He was devastated by what they did to Jesus as he stood at the cross. They really went through with it, didn't they? So, he has a righteousness. He is a righteous, a good man. You know what? In Philippians 3.9, really helps us with what righteousness is. It means to be right. To do what is right. To believe what is right. God is right, right? He's just. The word there is dikaios. That's the, the thought of it here. Um, Philippians 3.9 says, And may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, this is Paul speaking, derived from the law. So you're not righteous because you follow the Ten Commandments. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. 
I think that's a good verse for being justified by faith, isn't it? Righteous, justified, one who does right. And the reason we have any righteousness, it's all and only because of Christ, isn't it? We know we don't have any righteousness. So don't seek your own wisdom from your own self, but seek it from Christ. He's the one who gives you the righteousness, isn't it? And so it comes from God and it's because of the faith that He's given to us that we are now considered justified, declared righteous. That's the idea, declared. We still do some unrighteous things, but we have been declared righteous if we trust in Him. Isn't that great to know? Justification by faith. That was one of the cries, the big cry of the Reformation, wasn't it? We still believe in that today. Anyway, we see that he is this good man, righteous man, because of Christ. He's from Arimathea. And you might be trying to go through your maps in the back of the Bible and say, where's that at? Well, it's not there, probably. We don't know where Arimathea is at. I looked all over to see if anybody could give me a suggestion. Well, I can tell you that it is in Israel. could be close to Jerusalem. Maybe in Judea, right? But we really don't know the specific place, and it really doesn't matter. It is mentioned here, Arimathea, a city of the Jews. So, there we are. We know he's from Israel. That's narrowed it down pretty good, I think. Um, he's waiting for the kingdom of God, here says uh, Arimathea, city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. I think that tells us a lot who this man is, this one who is righteous, who is waiting for the kingdom of God. He was waiting for the Messiah. And you know, a lot of people were waiting for the Messiah But he's waiting for the Messiah in the fact of his kingdom that is to come. And he looks forward to that time. In Luke 2.25, there is a verse there that shows that people who were true believers looked for the kingdom of God. It's a characteristic. Do you remember this guy? Simeon. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. That means he was a believer in the Messiah. Looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The, the consolation, the final, the, the kingdom, the, what they had been waiting for, that it would finally come. And he had been waiting for that. We are looking for the return of Christ, aren't we? We believe in the second coming. That is an automatic belief of all Christians, that He will return. People differ when He returns, but they all believe that He will return for us. If we don't have that promise, then what are we waiting for? So, anyway, that is Simeon. We also think of uh, Anna. Got your attention, didn't I? (laughs) She was also a believer that looked for that time. There was uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth who were believers looking for that kingdom, waiting for it to come. True believers. We are too. And I gotta feel everybody here cannot wait till Christ comes back. And if I ask you if Jesus came back as soon as this message is over, no. Right now. We would be ready to go. That's fine with me, right? Wouldn't we say I don't think you'd say, Oh, well, well, wait a minute, I got some endeavors to do. I got some business to do, you know. No, we would want to go now. I mean, that's who life is about. Christ. You know, 
in our everyday, ongoing life, we tend to get mixed up sometimes. And we get all into the hustle bustle and everything we got to do. And guess who we forget that day? We forgot Christ. Now, granted, He is there. And when we pray, we're praying always, being God conscious, knowing the presence of God that is there. But sometimes we don't put Him at the top, do we? Well, that's what Christians do, though. He had gotten to a place here now that where he had enough courage to rise up and say he was a believer in Jesus Christ. He's cowardly for the <clears throat> for the time being, up to that time. So we go to the cross. At the cross, we sing that hymn. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. that is where we always go folks we not only went there once but we go back there constantly to the cross we see Christ crucified for our sins and so therefore we get into the right mode this story here of this man this man who is a righteous man, this man who is in the Supreme Court, reminds us that Christ died. Now, because that's what the burial is about. If you're not dead, they don't bury you. If you're dead, they bury you. Now, that, that's just simple common knowledge, right? So Jesus dying sounds obvious, and it's an important fact to establish, and everyone here already believes that. I don't spend a lot of time on it. But I will tell you that he had to be put into the grave so that the story of the resurrection would also be verified evidence that's there. We know the liberals say that Jesus did what on the cross? He swooned. Uh... We know that on the cross, one thing that happened is that the soldiers regarded Jesus as dead. The individual who led them, the centurion that we looked at last week, along with the soldiers, would know whether one was dead or not. They didn't break his legs. Why didn't they break his legs? It broke the thieves' legs that were on the cross, but not Jesus'. Because he had already died. They break the legs so they can get them to die real quick. Because now they can't push themselves up to get an inhale to actually breathe. They get asphyxiated if they can't go up anymore on the cross. And Jesus had already died. So, if you have your legs broken, you see that, and that's why that's mentioned there. It's why it's also in the Old Testament. And then we know also in the New Testament here in these Gospels, there's a spear that's thrust through his side, and blood and water comes out. Scientifically, that is something that happens. If, if that happens, that means that person is not alive anymore deals with the heart. They're they're gone. They're dead. So they're Old Testament prophecies and we know that um, what Scripture says here, you don't get these details in any other accounts. A lot of people want secular accounts. What book in the world has been accurate in everything it reports? The Bible. Has there been any other book that is absolutely impeccable without any kind of error or uh, maybe a statement that would be maybe wrong well I'll tell you what this underscores God's sovereignty it underscores the legitimacy of scripture of prophecy you know the Passover lamb was not to have any bones broken see that in 
Exodus 12.46 or look at Psalm 34.20 where we get really a prophecy of the crucifixion. Christ there. Psalm 34.20 He keeps all His bones... Not one of them is broken. Interesting, isn't it? He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Go to uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. There's a lot of prophecy in the death of Christ and in the burial of Christ. You don't usually think of burial, but here we are. So we're looking at some of these proof text prophecies. Zechariah 12.10 I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they'll mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Whom they pierced. He was pierced through for our transgressions. I think of uh, Isaiah 53. You get a lot about the death of Christ there and even His burial. I'd like to pick it up about uh, verse 9. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet He was with a rich man in His death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. So, there it is. He's assigned with the rich man's tomb. When he lived here, he didn't have a home. No place to lay his head. But as he dies, he's taken care of. You know who's in charge of all this while this is happening? God is. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. The piercing. Christ died for our sins as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Folks, any time that you know you need to get to the Lord, look at the cross. Always start there. Go there frequently. Look at the cross. You did when you first became a believer. And you keep going back there. It says, For I deliver to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures, we just read Isaiah 53, here was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, right? He died for our sins. That means He became a substitutionary sacrifice, a substitutionary atonement. More and more people refuse to even believe that in the evangelical realm today and it saddens me because what's left isn't that one of the most basic points of Christianity he died for our sins for us this is for you it was done as a substitution he took our place Christ died Christ was buried So the fact of the burial in the tomb is quite different than being tossed upon the dump in the valley of Gehenna. They would take you off the cross, put your body into the heap. We as Christians have that empty tomb. The disciples saw the grave clothes 
lying in the tomb. There was a heavy stone rolled against the entrance. These are all facts dealing with his burial. He was see that uh, that tomb there was sealed with a Roman seal and also guarded by the Roman soldiers. So that how could anybody get out? Or who could come in and steal it? All these are facts and evidence that we have in Scripture. And so, these accounts that we have are something we can count on. He had to have an appropriate burial. His body had to be taken down, not left up there. It was a curse. If you went to Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23, and by the way, he paid for that, didn't he? The curse was put on him, he paid for it, and then he came back to life. We have life because of that. Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23, if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, of course he did not commit a sin, but he did take on our sin though, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, or you crucify him, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree. They would sometime leave him on there, not only through the night, but for days. It would take a while for them to die. But you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. He took on our curse. So that you do not defile your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. That was a law for them to follow. At least have some respect for the body here. Have respect even for Jesus. The Jews do that. Didn't leave him there. So, it says in Matthew 27, this is where Joseph comes in to the story. If you take it all the way back now to the end of the crucifixion. 27, 58. Matthew 27, 58. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. There you have Joseph taking the body and wrapping it. But what did he do first? Did he just take that body down? No. He has to get permission. He just don't go up there and get that body off there. Who knows, it might even meant money to pay for that. We don't know. But to get that body, he has to go through protocol. Um, if you turn to Mark 15.43... Says Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, here you get a little bit more detail there, don't you? He went in with courage, he gathered it up. Yeah, you guys have done it. He did something, you know, it's this is really tough. I'm gonna have to get this together here. Went in before Pilate. Uh, Pilate is Roman governor. Joseph is part of the Supreme Court. He is a prominent member, but to, you know, to have the presence of mind to go into the governor's office here—that's uh, tough of the Romans. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time. See, he doesn't even know. 
And summoning the centurion, somehow he got a hold of him. Remember the centurion from last week? He's become a believer now. He questioned him as to whether he was already dead. Well, the soldiers and centurion are certainly going to know that. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Get a little bit more there, don't we? So he gets up the courage to go ask him. Pilate says, uh, well, first of all, I have to see if he's dead yet. Goes to the centurion and asks. He says, oh yeah, he's dead. There was a We put the, uh, the spear through his side. Blood and water came out. He's absolutely dead, no doubt. So that is what happened there. I can't say for certain what made Joseph do what he did to come out of hiding. If I'm him, I'm going to be thinking, I do this, it's probably my job. Which would mean also I'll be kicked out of the temple. Which also my the rest of my family will be good be ostracized. This can mean everything. What do I do? Do I go along with the crowd? What does I what do I do? What do I do? What made him do this? Well, you know, I think he had heard Jesus' teachings. Jesus has been teaching all week. That's one thing that could have been We also know that Lazarus had been raised back many weeks ago. Raised from the dead. There were many messianic prophecies. He could see maybe the jealousy and the selfishness that is in the Supreme Court going all around. He's absolutely outnumbered. Of course, he witnessed all the things that day that went on We've explained the death of Christ and all the sayings of Jesus. Very gracious. The darkness for the three hours. The earthquake that split rocks. Jesus shouting and crying out from the cross, which nobody could do at that stage of the game for people to actually hear Him. We went through all that. I think he's seen all of that. I think he watched the centurion and the soldiers. I think he saw the crowd. Probably saw a lot of them going back up to Jerusalem. Going into Jerusalem. And maybe, um, you know, it's, what did it say? They were pounding the breast. It's some kind of a guilt mode. What have we done? He saw the women, probably, that were standing from afar. And he's got to be thinking, who's going to take care of this body? Because, see, the disciples aren't there. They're all gone. Where in Jerusalem are they at? What? Why did they leave? They are the followers of followers. These are the apostles. At least they could have helped take the body off the cross. They're not there. And there you have the women who are in grief and at the same time, they're wondering what the crowd is thinking, what they could do to them. Hey, you're one of one of those followers of Jesus, aren't you? Remember what Peter did whenever... They said that about him. Oh no, not me. Well, the women didn't do any denying. They wouldn't have done it. It's amazing that they were there. They're still there. I think he probably sees them too. Maybe. Um, We get from this, it's like, you know, 
putting all that together, hearing that centurion say, this truly was the Son of God. Soldiers are saying, this truly was the Son of God. He's thinking of all these things that are going through his mind. And all of a sudden he takes action. He goes, this is right. This is what I gotta do. So that's what he did. I, I think some, you know, I don't know. Do you think I'm reading into the text? I could be, but wouldn't you be thinking some of these things? What just went on? Now he's a, a, a rich man that we read in one of the accounts, and uh, he had his own tomb. He's a very rich man, by the way. Very prominent. Supreme Court people very well taken care of. The tomb had never been occupied. It was empty. Never had anybody in it. So he's probably relatively young. I don't think he's a real old man. Because there's been nobody in the tomb. If he had a family, they would have been in that family tomb. Nobody's there. Like maybe his parents or something. Maybe it was, at any rate, his family is alive. This is the most appropriate thing to do for King Jesus, isn't it? And that's why we said in Isaiah 53, as he was numbered with transgressors on the side, let's read that again, we also know that he is buried where the rich people would. Because nine, if you remember, his grave was assigned with wicked men. That's what he was assigned to. That's where he would have gone. But he was with a rich man in his death. Burial. So that says a lot there. So he owns a tomb, it says. Then we go to... That was all the first point. Remember, it always gets quicker. Number two and three. <laughs> Second point is prepare to pay the price. What was our first one? He was at the cross. That's where we always should go. To the cross. You see, if we're going to identify with Christ, what's our title? Standing for Christ in a hostile world. If you're going to stand for Christ, where do you have to go? Go to the cross first. That's where it started for this man here, Joseph. Literally. We have to start there and keep going back frequently. He died for our sins. Number two, prepare to pay the price. That's what we see in this story here of Joseph. It's costly. It's not something that is cheap, is it? May have to sacrifice our reputation. See, he had a reputation, didn't he? Yeah, very much so. A very prominent person in all the land. He paid a heavy price. We may face this cost. He took down the body. Mark fifteen forty six says that. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down. He did it. He took him down. And you can see all the ones that just wanted Jesus dead. They're looking at Him. They're going, what is He doing? He'd gotten permission from Pilate. He's dead. And He gets... Jesus off the cross wraps him up 
Everybody sees this that are still around, and I'm sure the word's going to get around if they're not, that's going to get to those Pharisees, Sadducees, <coughs> the elders, all the rest of the religious elite. He's going to be ostracized. The time could be coming. Be ready. Be ready to pay the price. Down through the church history, we know that many Christians were told to give allegiance to Caesar. If they didn't give allegiance to Caesar, to say that Caesar is Lord, then they would say, who is your Lord? They would say, Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, there's no room for that because all worship their emperor. They gave up their lives, literally. They died on the spot. Through Fox's Book of Martyrs, if some of you probably have read that, and we get one story after another after another about people who were willing to pay the cost. Don't try to get in that situation. We have enough stuff going on the way it is. Don't try it. Be careful. Be used wisdom. But at the same time, we don't deny our Lord either, do we? So, he was prepared to do that because he knew what would happen. One of their own is burying Jesus. I think they would have been shocked. Why do you say that, Dennis? How do you know? I don't know for sure. But let's go back to John chapter 9, verse 22. That's the chapter where man was born blind. And for a particular reason, for that very moment, right there at that time. 22 says, His parents said this. Jesus had healed this blind man, right? His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. I've got a feeling anybody that didn't go along with their plan, if you are not politically correct and don't go along with what they have, you will be persecuted. That's the way it was there. I'm hearing that's the way it is today. If you don't go along with the plan, you are going to find out what will happen. Well, isn't that interesting? I heard now that they uh, have gone into some neighborhoods in Springfield, Oregon, and we're talking about the rioters. They're not protesters, they're rioters, and uh, it's dealing with Black Lives Matter. Yes, that's true. And they go on into private neighborhoods and they scare the daylights out of people and uh, elderly people. Somebody took their flag out and And they took it and kind of used it as some kind of a defense mechanism, thinking if they come, I'm going to have to use this, you know. Probably wouldn't have a chance, but uh, there is a a thing about self-defense. Where you draw that line, uh, you have to be really careful. We don't want to go around, you know, killing people or trying to hurt people. But at the same time, we're also responsible for our families, too, to defend them and it takes a lot of wisdom and so it's a good thing to pray for that we would be ready if it comes to that and it may not I'm not trying to put this in our minds and I will tell you I say this just to say take comfort people take comfort because it's not anything to worry about we already have the truth here we have the future in front of us whether it be right here on earth, or whether it be with Christ right at that time. Now, I don't say this to scare us. And none of this may even come about in our lifetimes. I think it's very possible, though. It sure is over the rest of the world. 
through most of the world, Christianity is hated. And if we take our heads out of the sand, we'll see that uh, anything from being arrested to being beaten to being having your heads cut off, those things, we know this, you know, whether you read Voice of the Martyrs or whether you look at some Christian news. Now, you're not going to get hardly any of this on any kind of your regular news programs, but it's happening all over. So, you know, we have been very blessed in the sense that we've been able to worship God in a public way, and it's legal. What we're doing today is legal. So why do I say all of that? To encourage us to realize that this man was under severe persecution for the rest of his life. What did his peers think of him? Well, we saw what happened in John 9.22. And they would definitely cut him off of the synagogue. He's cut off from his associates. His family would have a difficult life living there. doesn't say anything else after this. I want to tell you, he had to sacrifice some religion there too because uh, he touches a dead body. If you touch a dead body, you can't worship for a while. What time of the year is this? What day is this? It's Passover. Matter of fact, he died. The Passover has started, as far as the lambs are concerned, at the temple. He can't even do that because the law says that. But actually, he can because it's already been done. Christ is the Passover lamb. But that's another thing that got to him. You, you, you know, you can sac- I guess you sacrifice reputation. You can sacrifice religious aspects. And so... Um, you know, he, he had to always keep certain rules and an outward behavior to, to be right. Um, but it's about judging the sins that's in the heart, isn't it? It's about here. It's a matter of the heart. And so we get what he's doing here. Um, there's a... I think that evangelical church in America today has grown tolerant of just about anyone, anything that they believe in. It doesn't really matter. It's okay. You can name one thing after another and it's all tolerated. But they do not tolerate somebody who stands on truth, biblical truth, and what would be unpopular issues. And so I'd, uh, as I had uh, read in a commentary there that kind of stuck out in my mind, I said, ooh, that one's a good thought right there because that's right where we're at. And I think this was written by somebody 20 years ago. It's not a real old commentary. It's a pretty new one. But at the same time, we see what, what's happening in our society when they talk about toleration, right? But they don't tolerate Christians or people who stand for biblical truth, but it's in the church. They tolerate anything and everything, and we're not to do that. We're to keep ourselves clean. We're here to help each other grow. And that's, you know, we're here to love each other and to help each other do that and to point to, you know, God's truth. And God, you know, uses that. So, Joseph gave up his personal tomb. It also will cost you money. Personal tips. He doesn't know Jesus is going to die for, or, um, raise from the dead. He doesn't know He's going to resurrect on the third day. He's not expecting that because nobody else really is, even though He had said it. He could have bought a cheaper tomb, but He buys this... He's already bought this tomb that is in a very nice place. He gave Jesus the very best that He could give. And He bought linen wrappings. And we know that Nicodemus comes along and he has a hundred pounds of spices. You remember Nicodemus, John 3? He must be born again. He's the one that came by night. 
whether it means anything or not, here it is, broad daylight, where they see Him too. And He's like Joseph of Arimathea. So He helps him as they go to the tomb. He was willing to give generously because he believed in Jesus being his Lord and Messiah. Yeah, very generous, wasn't he? Waiting for the kingdom of God. He was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was committed to Christ. He gave radically. He gave up a lot of things, didn't he? This is quite remarkable coming from where he was at. Number three, and lastly, we're to go to the cross. Then what what are we to do? What we just said? What's that? Well, cross, and, 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 and you repent at the cross. But here, be willing to give up whatever it is. He says, my disciples will see Him as number one, right? Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow Me. So now, and that's where the show up and be available is at. This is where we get to the women again. And look, we saw them last week as they were off away from the crowd. In verse 55 and 56, Luke 23, now the women who had come with Him out of Galilee followed, who had come with Christ. They were from Galilee. Same women. I saw and saw the tomb and how His body was laid. Guess what? They're following somebody that's in the Supreme Court who has taken his body down and they follow him all the way to the tomb. Otherwise, they're not going to know where he's at. Because their plan is, and they don't have enough time now, was to have the spices ready. And it's going, quickly, it's going to be the Sabbath tomorrow in a quick amount of time here. So they're going to have the day where they rest and then on the third day, they will go there because they know where it's at. They, they watched. They followed. They went back to their place, prepared the spices, the perfumes. They returned after the Sabbath to anoint His body. Matthew Henry points out that their actions sprang more from love than even from faith since they didn't yet understand or believe that He'd be raised from the dead. They didn't quite understand all that. But it's because they loved Him. Isn't that remarkable? Their love in their, to, to stay at the cross that they did and then to, to go where that body was going. I'm sure people are watching this and I'm sure there are people spying it out. What did it mean for them? Well, they didn't care. The disciples or apostles are hiding out in fear. And here you have two men that you wouldn't expect it at all. And there they are boldly, courageously, showing that Christ is important to Him. You know what? These women were the first witnesses of the risen Savior. They got that privilege. In the hours of this cross, or even this crisis and such, Remember that. What happened to Peter? Rest of them. Well, you know, he would. He swore that he would die with Jesus. Loyalty. He even meant it. I mean, you know, the whole thing that he did. He was self-confident, wasn't he? And he turned out in disappointment. Jesus restores him again. But it's a disappointing what happened to the apostles. Where'd they go? They become secret and quiet, don't they? And then it says, to finish all this up, on a Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. That's the women. And then the first day of the week, early as it could be, before the sun came up, there they were getting out there, going to the tomb to bring their spices. 
Maybe you can't be an articulate, verbal witness of Christ. Maybe you can't stand in front of a group and speak. Not everybody does that. But you can still take a stand for who Christ is, can't you? By your behavior, by your attitude, by our quiet resolves to not compromise. Just show up as we showed up here on this third point here. Even if you aren't clear about even how to defend the faith, Show your commitment and your love for Christ. That's what the women did there. These men. He will use you as He used Joseph. Show up. Be ready to serve. Whatever it is you're needed for, do it. If there's a point where you know that you're compromising your stand for Christ, we've all been there, haven't we? Yeah, we do. We blend in with the world. We do. All the things that it offers looks really good. Sounds good. Feels good. But we need to know that we need to take a stand. It's what we can learn from Joseph. Go to the foot of the cross. Be ready to pay the price. Show up. Be available. That's what we learn here from Joseph of Arimathea. Even if we're secret disciples, I don't think we're secret disciples, but sometimes we are. God will use you. God will use you as He did Joseph of Arimathea to be a bold witness, to be courageous, to do valuable service for the kingdom of God, for the Savior. Let's pray. Lord, great God, what a passage and a text it is. It's very convicting. At the same time, it's also very comforting to see that You took care of how everything went down perfectly in the death of and the burial, the resurrection. You directed every bit of it. And as you care for Christ, Father, you care for us just the same. Whatever it is we're going through, Lord, we just want to be there available, ready to do your will, to do what you've shown us, so that we can glorify you in our witness of just living, just having the right attitude and having the right way of living, we can glorify You. And sometimes we get an opportunity to even open our mouths. We look to that, Lord, to share You. So Lord, we depend totally on Your Holy Spirit to do any of this, for we know that without You we can do nothing. It's all the person of Christ. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.